Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis. I'm your host. Today's episode, man, another good one. It's a great one. I could have done this all day. Just sit down and talk sports, CFL, NFL. Well, I don't think we talked NFL. NBA, Premier League Soccer. Talked about his life. It just flows so well. I could have literally done this for three to five hours today because it was just so good getting his take on all these different subjects on the bubble to uh, the pandemic to the handling of the CFL and how it was handled. No season, but we still got CFL content. Without further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from Montreal, Quebec. He's a freelance writer, play-by-play broadcaster. He's a blogger, a TSN reporter, and radio host. We've done so many interviews together, but now he's on the other side. Welcome to the show, Mo Khan. What's up, brother? Nick, how you been, brother? Uh, I remember, quickly here, Nick, 2008 Grey Cup. (laughs) I don't know if you remember this. Right, you guys. I was pretty drunk that week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Had a few water bottles. How about that? But if you remember, Nick, on the football field, obviously the media comes out. They do the Q and A's with the players. You know, hey, your thoughts on the Great Cup victory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you recall, Nick, you were there with your family on the field at center field. Yep. I go, hey, Nick, can I get a quick word with you? And your response was, Yeah, at the club. I'll see you there. And you just (laughs) ran into the locker room. And I was like, all right, man. Which club? I didn't even go to the club. Yeah, I, exactly. I was drinking Top Shelf back at the hotel. I think we we're at the Intercontinental. Yeah. And um, Ted and the guys, the owners, um, you know, those guys, man, they were great. They put on a little shindig at the hotel. Some of the guys went out. I sat there and talked to Dave Dickinson and his wife uh, for yeah. hours. And um, we were looking at all the Top Shelf stuff and, so they were paying for everything. So me and Dave would just kept ordering off the top shelf and hanging out there. <laughs> I was glad I didn't go out to the club. Of course, in 14, I did go out to the club. Damon Allen came over uh, to the hotel room and me, my dad, yeah. and Damon and the wife and everybody. We all went out. So Yeah, but like 2014, that was in Vancouver, right? Great Cup yeah. when you guys won. Look, Vancouver clubs don't compare to Montreal clubs. No. Call for what it is, Nick. They don't compare, no, man. They do not. We, we've been to a few rodeos in Montreal for clubs, they, you know, they, and it's... They do not. And, <laughs> you know, what, one of the good things, one of the good things is, is that I remember 2008 being the first time we were in the Grey Cup and yeah, just such a new feeling, right? Who did you yeah, have no, winning? Do you sure. think Montreal was going to win that game? No, no. I, I, I remember the lead up on the radio station because they had sent us to see you guys for, for media day and all that, and the Alouettes as well. I felt coming into that game was that, boy, you know, Calgary has a chip on their shoulder because, you know, in the lead up to where you guys were three, four years prior, where you guys were four and 14 and Matt Dunnigan, and then yep. things kind of changed when you brought in Huffnagel. And this took another step, right? Hank took that step as a quarterback. And I felt that there was that determination in the eyes of your team of saying, we can play this game in a backyard of Montreal or in front of 60,000 plus that were there. And we'll beat you guys. And, yeah. and that's what it was. And even during the football game, when Montreal had their opportunities, I say, you know, Calgary's holding tight here, you know, in the sense that they're playing stiff football and defense, not bending at all in terms of giving up points. 
And at the end of the day, you guys made the more important plays that put you in position to win that football game, in which may not be a high-scoring game, but nonetheless, that was a fun game to watch from the Big O. I know there's a lot of um, – in the Grey Cup, you know, a lot of great players play in the Grey Cup. Yeah. But if you just look at both of those rosters and just really just take a step back and look at all of the great players, even if we just say, okay, how many Hall of Famers played in that game? There's you next year, right? Hopefully. Uh, yeah, Hank Burris. Hank. Right. Uh, Calvillo. Calvillo. Uh, ben Cahoon. Ben Cahoon, yes, absolutely. Brian Chu's not in. Scott Flurry's in as well. Scott Flurry's in. Yeah, uh, I'm just trying to think off my head here who else is going to be in. Um, Jermaine Copeland should be in. Cope should be in, but he isn't. Uh, SJ Green did not play, I believe. I think he, at the time, was still in the process of becoming a full-time starter the following year. Yep. But he could be a strong candidate for a Hall of Famer status maybe in two, three years from now. So, Cornish. Play yeah, game. Cornish. Yeah, Jamal Richardson, you know, could, could be, be another guy that could be a yeah, Hall of yeah. Famer. Yeah, there, there's a few guys. That, it was a fun game. Let's put it that way. I mean, um, I think Brandon Smith is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's, he's got strong credentials to be in the Hall of Fame Charleston as well. Hughes. Charleston Hughes will be in the Hall of Fame. 100% he will. John Bowman. Bowman will be there, yes. yes. And he was Cox. a young guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Amor Stewart could be in the Hall of Fame as well. Amor Stewart. So we're um, talking 14 right now. Yeah. As in or potentially in – and we're probably missing some. We are. I think right. we are missing some, yeah. I mean, Keon Raymond potentially is a Hall of Famer as well. He had a great great career with, with you guys. With, with as many years. records he has, Stampede records and interception return yards. And uh, I think he has an interception return touchdown record in Calgary history. Right. So there was I'll a, say this, though, Nick. I'll say this, though, Nick. For that window, right, of games between Montreal and Calgary, 08, 09, 2010 that three-year window was must-see tv between those two football teams man we should have played each other every year we screwed well, it up. you know it, it, 09 should have been should have been they, that right when, when i think they yeah we should have played them in 09 um yeah. 10 definitely i thought 10 was the best team i've ever been a part of yeah that was tough and i remember doing i remember doing post game because the Owls, i think had trashed the argonauts in the east final one of those years. I think it was 09 or 2010, whatever it was. And I was talking to Sean Main, who, who was playing for the Alouettes at the time. He, he yeah. called me up and goes, hey, listen, what's the score in the Calgary uh, SAS game? And at the time, I think you guys were up. And I go, hey, Calgary's up big. Don't worry. I think we're going to see a Calgary-Montreal rematch. Great cup. And obviously, that wasn't the case to be. But I remember that 2010. Hank that damn pick before half. Yeah, that's right. And it was very cold, right? And I said to myself, I go, bleep. I mean, this could have been another Calgary-Montreal great cup uh, final. And I thought, look, Sask Montreal was fun. Those, the 09, 2010 Great Cups were fun. But the intensity of the quality of play, the regal players on the football field on both sides of the teams would have been fun to see because it was the best on best. That's yeah. how I saw it. Best on best. Yeah, and I think we, we kind of set that up. 2010, we beat Montreal like 57 to like 18 or something like that. Yeah, and then we played them the next week, and they beat us like fifty-five to twelve. It was yeah, so it was crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I remember, I remember that game in twenty ten because that was when Ben Cahoon broke the, the the receptions record that day. Yeah, the funny story to that because I, I was I was I was at the game with this girl who was a big Alouette fan at the time, 
And so I went to see Jabari Arthur, your teammate, yep. and, and Sean May, and a few other guys out there. And so I was leaving the stadium with her. And I hear my name being called out, right? You know the Alouettes Tunnel when you play for the Alouettes, when you leave his fans, when you need to sign autographs, whatever it is. Yep. So someone calls my name out. I recognize the person and say, hey, what's up? Good to see you. And I turn from my right to the left. And next thing you know, I have like three, four Alouette fans asking for my autograph. I think I'm a football player for the Alouettes. <laughs> <laughs> and the girl I'm with is running down the staircase because she's, you know, pissing her pants that, hey, how the bleep is this guy being asked for, her, for his autograph when he's just a radio guy, not even a football guy for that matter. So there's always a link with the Owls and, and Stan Pierce when it comes to those games in Montreal, a great cup or not, that were always fun to be a part of. Yeah, man. It was just – I always said we were the best of the West and they were the beast of the East. So it was always great to – because that 2000 to 2000 – or I would say 2000, probably five, six. Yeah. Up until AC retired. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, we ran the regular season in Calgary. We just didn't finish as much as Montreal's did in the East. Yeah, no, Montreal had their hiccups too. I mean, we should twenty twelve I mean, should have been another chance. We should we should have played two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, yeah. and twenty twelve. We should have played each other again when they lost yeah. to Toronto. Yeah, and I remember that Toronto game that they lost in the East final, and unfortunately, Brian Bratson had the ball like in his hands and it couldn't hold on to it at the end. And I thought that was sort of the ending of that era of that Alouette team yeah. of dominance, right? Those guys start to get a little bit older. Guys want to get, you know, a, a different opportunity elsewhere. And I think that's when you saw the Alouette franchise become more mortal than immortal that they were from 06 to 2010, 2011, even for that matter. Yeah, man, it was a fun ride. I'm, I'm glad I got to play for both. I wish, I wish Montreal was a little bit – I wish we had a little bit better coaching. I ain't going to lie. In Montreal when I was there. Because player-wise, player-wise, yeah. I mean, guys were still good. I mean, think about yeah. it. Our backfield with Rutley and Sut and Logan. And, you know, it wasn't like our O-line was horrible. They wasn't great, but they wasn't horrible. And then you had me, Fred Stamps, SJ at receiver. Yeah. You know, I don't think – and then the defense held it down. Cash, Money, Bowman, yeah, it was a good defense. Chip, Billy it was, Parker. Yeah, it was a good team, Nick. I mean, I mean, those – unfortunately, look, and Alice fans adore you here. Even now, they always say, we miss Nick Lewis. He, he brought uh, the hammer to the game when it was a spoon fight pretty much. Yeah. And it, it felt like there was a lot of games which – uh, as you know, you were involved with that. You guys could have easily won, but just couldn't knock over the door yeah. uh, to get that W. And, and you know, win here, win there, whatever it is, maybe changes the dynamics of that team. But but that was sort of the, um, I wouldn't say the dark era of Alabama football, but definitely the, the fan interest wasn't as high because it wasn't how it was eight, nine years prior under Mark Tressman and, and having Calveal and these guys. Uh, do the fun and gun offense and, yeah. and win games by 45 points over the Thai Cats or the Argonauts for that matter. It's fun now, man. Vernon, not only on the field, Vernon off the field is such a spectacular guy. To, he's bringing, he's flying guys into Seattle to work out. He's doing all kinds of workouts. He's keeping people motivated. He's always out in the streets with the fans. Like, what's the atmosphere like right now? I know people disappointed about not having a season this year, but even just going into this season off of what they did last year, how was how's everybody motivated in Montreal? 
you, you know, Nick, I, I think the love affair was rekindled under Kahari Jones and, yeah. and VA as well. I think uh, Vernon Adams Jr. took a, a lead and he even said himself that he wanted to be the face of the franchise. And what he meant by being the face of the franchise is being visible in the community in terms of, hey, let's generate a fan interest with the, with the fan base to watch Alawa football on a Friday night, Thursday night, or, or Saturday afternoon for that matter. Yeah. And, and that Empton game, the playoff loss last November, was probably the loudest I've heard in Molson Stadium since probably when you guys, when you were playing for Calgary, came in as visitors against the Alouettes during that time of football. And that momentum was there. Unfortunately, it got derailed by COVID-19, and unfortunately, yep. there's no CFL season this year. So now we go into that, uh, into that influx of where is this CFL game in Montreal? And Nick, you know very well Montreal is a very big city. Yeah. There's a lot to do in this city. Uh, it's not like Sask or Calgary or Edmonton where CFL is, is life or death over there when it comes to wins or losses. If the Owls lose, fans are, all right, cool. We can watch the Canadians play, the Impact play, or go out on – It's an experience. It is. It really is. And, and that's why it's such a critical moment now for the Alouette fan base because, look, with all due respect, they're not Sask. They're not the, the teams out west or even uh, Hamilton or Ottawa for that matter. But it's pivotal now for this franchise to cultivate the next generation of fans to say, hey, we don't have football now, but come next June, I'm going to be there for week one against Team X. Yeah, and we will sell out Molson Stadium to be there. So I think that's going to be a critical time now for the Alouettes to really um, lay down the seeds and make sure you plant the next generation of fans. Do you go up an Alouette fan? You know what? I'll, I'll be I'll be real with you, Nick. Okay, so my first love for CFL because I didn't have cable at the time, right? My dad didn't give give us cable, so I used to watch it on CBC before I went to TSN back in yep. 07, 08. Uh, full time that it was. My first team that I actually loved was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Really? And yeah, the nineties, early nineties. They had they had Matt Dunigan came on board, I think, in ninety two, but they had some ballers on that team, man. Greg Battle, Kelly Rush, Michael Richardson was there, uh, Gerald Alfin, Gerald Wilcox. Uh, they had some they had some pretty massive boys. Chris Walby was there, Miles Walby's Warriors. Exactly. And just just <laughs> like with you guys with, with the Stampeders, they would run the regular season, but come playoff time, they'd always lose that game. Like the great cup, I believe in 93 against Edmonton, they lost, which, you know, with Sammy Garza's quarterback, because Dunnigan was out for the year. They could have won with Dunnigan probably. 1992, they lost to Stan Peters. albeit though, that was Doug Flutie running the show back then. Yeah. So, I mean, the Bombers had their chances. I mean, and just like with, with you guys and like with the Alouettes in 2011, 2012, after 94, 95, when they lost to Baltimore, Look what happened to the Bombers, right? They kind of went into the abyss up until now when they finally won the Great Cup. But yeah, the Bombers were my first love for the CFL back in the day. When you look at the state of the CFL, is it – like, what do you think about it? Like, when you see what's going on with the government stuff and uh, just the direction they're heading, it, is this like a defining moment of they need to change things? Or well, how do you feel about it? I think it is it's – a, it's, a, it's a crucial moment – right now nick of what is the future hold for this league yeah and what i mean by this is that you you had essentially and unfortunately look COVID 19 has a different uh view of doing things right they it could change on a, on a dime right it could be a spread of, of of scares who knows what it is but for the cfl they essentially had three four months nick to really lay down the groundwork of if we're going to do a bubble 
what's the investment required? And I think they kind of were lax about that. And I think Randy Ambrosi uh, and the ownerships were not as in communication of saying, listen, let's talk to the players and let's get them involved. What do we need from them to, for them to okay this project of ours to play in Winnipeg or SAS for the next uh, 10 to 12 weeks, whatever it would have been. So now moving ahead here, was this a fumble? Yes, it was, Nick. I, I'm very disappointed for the players. I'm mm-hmm. disappointed for the coaching staffs, uh, the management teams that put in hours of work to find the next Nick Lewis or the next uh, SJ Green for that matter or, or Chad Owens for that matter. And now it's all for naught this year. And now we enter a, a moment of time, Nick, where this will be on Randy Ambrosi's head until further notice. And people who have spoken to players and guys across the board in the CFL, it's hard for them to have confidence in him as a commissioner. And they, they all believe, look, man, it's, maybe we need a new direction and bring yeah. in fresh blood, a guy that can bring in the league to the next level. And under Randy Ambrosi, unfortunately, some people feel like that's not been achieved. And now the question comes up for the uh, BOG, the board, board of Governors, and the owners across the board is, do they have full confidence in Randy Ambrosi to get them out of this darkness of time here for them to become back to where they were, which is a fun link to watch from June till November. Of course. And, you know, he looked us in the face last year and in, in the eyes as coaches and said, you know, this cap had to be done, but it's not long-term and we'll never ask you to take another pay cut until uh, without talking to you first. And that's the first thing he did in June or May this year was, he asked coaches to take a 15 to 25% pay cut. Right, right. Without and, even and consulting them, right? Yeah, you know, you know Nick, it's, it's weird because I put a tweet out, uh, which you liked, by the way. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I put a tweet <laughs> saying that uh, when you look at CFL teams the last three, four years, they have paid a lot of money for fired head coaches to sit at home and you can't play your players something, yeah. something, right? There, there, there's a, there is not an NCAA feel to it, Nick, of, of players not being paid, but they should be compensated something because they put in so much effort. And, you know, Nick, going in the, in the off year, whether you live – you're putting in time, man. You're going to the gym two hours. You're, you're going to do field work for an hour and a half. You're going to do this for another hour or so. That's yeah. investment of time here. Something close enough that you say, you know what, I'll take this. I'll come back next year ready to go 100 percent, and you know people I, I think cfl fans get mad at me that just read some of my tweets they're like well you you know you're biting the hand that feeds you because cfl paid you for so long and all this other stuff i'm a realist like i talk about real issues in a real way and the cfl doesn't do everything right but i'm a i'm a huge supporter of the cfl Right. I, I believe that I'm, yeah. you know, one of the biggest supporters of the CFL, the players, the coaches, um, the GMs and everyone. And I just want to see a great product. And I want to see it ran the, the right way. Do you ever get any pushback when you when you put stuff out like that? Do people get mad at you because of <laughs> being able to like talk openly about what needs to happen to move forward? Like, obviously, what's what's going on now is not working. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny, Nick, when, when I um, a few weeks ago, I posted a tweet saying, spoke to the CFL guy, uh, season probably done. And if you look at the trail of uh, tweets I got, they're all from the Perry 
provinces, right? Sask, Manitoba, Alberta included. And they're like, who's your source? Uh, it's not true. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're going to laugh at your face. I said, guys, I hope you do. I, I hope I'm wrong. I don't exactly. want to be, I don't want to be right in the situation. Like I don't like it's, don't look at me as being the, the, the guy being the source here. I, I, what I've been told by someone who I trust tell me this saying, Hey, look, we're done. I go with it. Yeah. And I think from the mindset, Nick, and like you've been to many great cups. I've been to a few myself. The problem with the CFL and it's been an ongoing saga for them probably for the last 10 to probably 20 years. It's an older generation of fans who are probably in the 40s, 50s, and 60s who go to Great Cups. You don't see younger faces who are between the 18 to 35 demographics, maybe one or two here and there. And that's where the CFL has to figure out a plan to hook in those 18 to 35 male and female football fans to watch them on a Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, whatever Monday is included as well. So I think the CFL has to work on that. And, and that's the thing, Nick, they don't do a good job. I think in promoting the players, yeah. if you recall, Nick, when Maybe you were playing, when you were playing, Nick, I'm coming. Took, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, it took them how many years for you guys to get a blue check mark certifying that this is Nick Lewis, this is so and so, and this is so and so. I years. still don't have one on Instagram. Right. And that's my point, though, right? I mean, they, they got to do a better job promoting their players, which they don't do. Uh, they, you got to figure out how to get players onto the Canadian networks, right? Like MTV Canada. Get on a guy on MTV Canada. Um, get them out there, out and about, whether it's on a mainstream TV show, whatever it might be. So you just show their face so people can relate to them. And I think that's where the CFL kind of lags behind in terms of what, like the NFL is a different animal, Nick. They do it out of this world here. But you got to start taking um, ideas from the NFL and apply it to the CFL game. I know fans are more traditionalists that they want to keep it Canadian and not sell out to the American way of doing things here. But at this point, though, to grow the next generation of fans, you must and you must figure out a way to get that 18 to 35 demographic to buy into your product. Because if they don't, Nick, there's going to be more and more fans who are going to say, I'm going to watch an NFL game on a Sunday than watching Owls against the Ticats on a Sunday at 1 o'clock kickoff. Yeah. And once you promote their players, it puts them in a different light. You can still have a fan league where I know players, but see them in a different light. Right. It's, it's different, man. I mean, these guys have so much talent outside of the sports. Um, they, they can, but these fans don't know. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. The fans don't know these players because of what's going on. Yeah. Right. You don't, you only see these players for three hours. You don't know where they're at. No, you, right? you don't Nick. And, and I remember and like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when we went out one year, when you were in Montreal, um, we went to a club. And we'll, we'll go back to the club scene again, right? Yep. And we, my, my boy got his saying, like, yeah, come on in, come on in, come on in, right? And then five seconds later, someone's screaming your name, right? I won't say who it is. We'll keep them <laughs> at this <laughs> conversation here. But someone prominent. And he's like, yo, Nick, can you get me in? Can you get me in? It's here. I'm here with so-and-so from the team, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, hey, Mo, can you get to them? I'm like, yeah, no problem, right? And I said to myself, I go, that's, that's my point. Like, CFL faces aren't recognized in Montreal. And, and that's the biggest issue is that – I'm not saying, okay, you play the CFL, you should get them for free. But someone should go, hey, that's so-and-so. Hey, that's pretty cool. They're coming to my spot. Let me help them out. Does he need a drink? Does he need a bottle service? Whatever it is. But that's where the CFL kind of uh, goes into a, 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 a triangle of curse, I guess, in terms of that 
They cannot gather, gather on way to help promote players. And you, you're sponsored by Adidas or you're sponsored by New Era now. Get them out there. Get their faces out on those hats, those uniforms, whatever it is. And that's how people will start recognizing names to faces and vice versa. 100%. And I went to, um, after my, it was Philadelphia and New England played in, was it 2005 Super Bowl? Yeah. Down in Jacksonville. And we drove right. down there. And one of the things was, is that I was out in Daytona Beach with my boys from college and everybody. And I showed them my CFL card. They were like, cool. We went into the club. They gave us free bottles. Like, <laughs> it was like, I'm at Daytona Beach for an NFL event. Daytona Beach, you know, it was like 30 minutes outside of Jacksonville. Yeah. And everything, everything was packed down there, and they took care of us, man. I do it in Texas. I get in free in Texas with my CFL card. I think Canadians kind of downplay the CFL more than Americans do. There's some Canadian – if you're not a CFL fan, you'll be like, well, yeah. I'm not a – I'm not a CFL fan. Like they're really not pros or they, but then Americans, you tell them you play in the CFL. They're like, dude, that's awesome. It, it's yeah, you're right. The DNA here is different. When you go to big cities like big cities like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, it's a different way of thinking, Nick, because I'll give you the example. And I've always used this example to describe Alouettes and NFL here on a Sunday afternoon. If the Cowboys are playing the Patriots at one o'clock uh, on, on this kickoff at Foxborough, you have that game on TV or someone offers you Alouette Hamilton Tie Cat tickets to, to go watch them in Montreal. A lot of people will say, you know what, I'm going to stay home and watch the uh, NFL game. And that's the problem. Like, not a bad thing, but that's the thing. In this city, Montreal, it is an NFL city. They love their yep. NFL. And I always say this about Montreal. Saskatchewan is a CFL city. Montreal is a city that has a CFL team. Yes. If you get my point, right? Hundred percent. There is a there is a there is a definite diehard, passionate fan base, albeit probably at a smaller number, that will go to Alouette games no matter what day it is. It could be at four a.m. On, on a rainy Sunday morning for all they care, they'll be there. But in this city, as you've seen firsthand, Nick, there's so much to do here, and that's why it goes back to my point that you need to promote these athletes and hook them in, just like they did back in 08, 09, and twenty ten. Jamel Richardson, S.J. Green, Calvillo, Cajon, Brian Chu, all those guys were promoted. And you saw, Nick, firsthand, the stadium was packed to the rafters. Yeah. And it's coming to watch on a Friday night or Sunday afternoon. So many sellouts. But, you know, now people associate money to importance. So how do we get the guys to be more important? We give them more money. And that's the plan. Man, that's right? a great question, Nick. It's right? A we really get more money. Question. We get them more money. Like – I tell people all the time, like NFL to CFL, I think it takes more skill to play in the CFL than the NFL. Um, Talent-wise, it's, you know, the NFL has got some uber-talented players. Like, the number one receivers in the NFL are just, like, uber-talented, but there's some uber-talented receivers in the CFL, right? The third yeah. receiver in the NFL teams could come up here and doesn't mean they're number one up here, doesn't mean they, they would even be good up here. Yeah. Right. So you're looking at a lot. It's a different it's a different model. Right. Up here, you need three receivers to be good in order to be competitive. Like two receivers don't get it done anymore because it's just so hard with the way they run combo coverages now and things like that. If it's, it's so hard to have just two good receivers. You need three, four 
good receivers on a CFL team to be really competitive and win consistently now. NFL, get him a good running back, a good quarterback. And look, Tom Brady was winning without any really receivers last year. Yeah. No, Got a good right, run man. game, give me a good tight end, um, give me one receiver, and I can make it work. And, and, and like, you've seen firsthand, you've probably seen your fair share of uh, NFL guys who come up here, they can't adapt to the CFL Ooh, game. They can't. The, 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 the idea of playing on a wider field, the running, the waggle start, the 12th man, the football is different, the, the ambiance is different. It isn't like the NFL where you get first-class service right through and through. Not saying that CFL doesn't, but, you know, when you look at the NFL game and guys come up here, it takes them time. And you expect yeah. them, like, my, like what the bleep, like, this guy was great in the NFL, but how can he can't dominate a DB playing for, uh, for the, the Ottawa Red Blacks, for that matter, right? So it's just 100%. a question of guys' mindset of saying, all right, am I going to be humbled by this game, or will I come here with an open mind on, on adapting to this game style and making sure I can play and be a guy that can be relied upon for a big catch in the fourth quarter? That's it. You been keeping up with the NBA playoffs? Always, man. I know you got your Mavericks and stuff. Uh, your, your, your boy, Luka. Donkic, is – you're lucky the Bulls aren't in it, though, man. You're, you're lucky the Bulls aren't in it, though. Hey, man, I don't think – I think that Bulls and Mavericks, um, that competition is over. For the next 15 <laughs> years, it's over. <laughs> Look, man, if the Bulls – like, the Bulls got dropped last year in the, in the lottery. They should have the number two pick at least. We would have had John Morant in that whole process. We end up with Kobe White from UNC, but, but the Bulls like are probably though. a few years away from being a few years away. <laughs> <laughs> I see the Pacers just went down 0-2 to Miami, man. Miami's – hey, when, when Jimmy Butler said he's going to Miami, when all these teams are stacking up stars, you had PG go with Kawhi, you have all these guys stacking together, and Jimmy Butler goes, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to leave Philadelphia with Horford and uh, Tobias Harris – and, and Embiid and Simmons. Yeah. And I'm going to go down here to Miami. It's a mentality. It's a mentality. And I'm just looking right now, do the Bucks really want to see them in the second round of the playoffs? Well, the Bucks have their own problems right now with Orlando, right? I mean, yeah, it's, I mean look, I know it's one game. It's one yeah. game, right? But, but I'll, I'll say this, though. Miami is a team that uh, people have said they don't want to face in the playoffs. Um, you look at the team with Iguodala being brought in. Yeah. Bam has been playing really well. Uh, that that cast of characters has been fantastic for Miami. Tyler Hero, and I think. Yeah, and, and look, I'll, I'll give it to I'll, I'll give him props for, for for the fact that he can attract players. But Pat Riley, his influence to say, "Hey, look, man, you're in Philadelphia, cold, uh, <laughs> dark, and cloudy Philly, in the middle of February, in March and January, and all those cold months." Why not come to South Beach where it's sunny 24-7 and you'll play with no state tax and you'll play in Miami, man, where we have built legacies for players before you. And Pat Riley has that, that it factor, right? He did it. And if you remember when he came in with the Heat in 96, uh, Nick, his first big move was to get Alonzo Mourning. Alonzo Mourning from Charlotte. Because Miami, if you remember, was a joke of a franchise up yeah. until Riley showed up. He brought in Zoe, brought in Tim Hardaway, uh, got rid of Glenn Rice, and next thing you know, they're doing a, a, a Royal Rumble with the New York Knicks for like a three, four-year window of, of hatred. And that's when the Miami Heat kind of developed a fan base, right? And, yep. and then he, re, he re, re, rebooted, brought in Shaq and D-Wade. D-Wade, yeah. Kicked out Shaq, brought in LeBron and Bosh, right? And they became the most uh, villainous team in the NBA. 
and he rebooted again and said, okay, cool, no worries. Now he's got Jimmy Butler, who is the type of guy, Nick, and I'm sure you played with a few guys of that DNA. Doesn't give a bleep. That's my DNA. Yeah, exactly, right? Doesn't Ooh. give a bleep who, who's in front of him. It could be Joel Embiid times five on the court, and he'll dunk it on your face no matter what. So Miami's a team definitely has a great supporting cast. And my favorite player, who I have a, a, a T-shirt of, Goran Dragic, the best left-handed Dragic. point guard. <laughs> the best left-handed point guard in the NBA, my friend. Is he the only left-handed point guard in the NBA? The best left-handed point guard in the NBA. <laughs> best. I got to tell you what. You heard the story of uh, Jimmy Buckets in, in Minnesota, right? When he got Where to, he demanded uh, Big Cat and uh, Wiggins to play better? No, we went into practice. And uh, he told – he said, look, starting four, take the sixth man. Oh, yeah, the, the bench took, squad. Yeah, yeah. And he took the bench <laughs> squad and blew him out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dominated him. And said, this is right. why y'all – and he said, this is why we suck. Because y'all have no yeah. heart. And he was talking big trash to him. Like, right. that's – oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and like I know, I know Butler had a rap because this is his fourth team in the last four years, going from Chicago, uh, Mini to Philly, now to Miami. But I think he's found a perfect setup with Spolstra as his coach. Who look, Eric Spolstra, remember when he, when he was coaching LeBron and D Wade and Bosch, and if you remember Nick, that first year they were like six and seven or six and eight at one point, and people were like, man. You got Forrest Spolster bringing Pat Riley from, from, the, uh, from the suite down to the court side over here to coach this team. He weathered that storm and became a better coach for that. Yep. And he's probably one of the best coaches uh, with Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens included, right now in the game in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they're, dude, they're, I just love Jimmy Bucket's attitude, man, because he's one of those guys that he, didn't, he says, I don't need the best players. I just need people that go out willing to compete. Yeah, and, and look, he's got yeah. Bam too. And Bam, Bam's a big boy, too. And you can't bang with Bam at all in the painting anymore. He's, he's dominating games. Yeah, Bam's nasty. He's big time. He is major. <laughs> Who's your Eastern Conference final and Western Conference final? What do you, what do you call them right now? Man. That, that Denver-Utah series is a lot of fun. I, I like both teams from, from that series. I think that goes seven. And the reason I'm talking about that first is because I think Denver can – have an easier path towards the Western Conference final. I think the Clippers have a few problems, Nick. I think they've not really found their rhythm. And mm-hmm. that goes back before COVID, uh, where if you remember early on, Kawhi was sort of dictating the pace of games here. And then they brought in the Morris twin and they brought in some other guys to help out. And that has not really gelled as well. So I think I'm going to go Denver making it to the Western Conference final. And I still believe the Lakers are the, are the team to beat in the West. I mean, to beat LeBron four out of seven times, whether it's the first round or the NBA final. They don't score. But, but th- you're right. They can't shoot, right? But, but the thing is, LeBron has that, that, that big boy mentality that I'm not going to be beaten now. LeBron's at a point where he knows, Nick, it's Anthony Davis, and then I'm here to help him out. And if AD goes and he's going off, rebounding, shooting the ball from distance, and does his thing, the Lakers become even even tougher than before. So I think a Laker-Nugget Western Conference Final is probably on the books right now. Clippers have question marks, but they definitely do have the ability, Nick, to go yeah. very deep in the playoffs. you you going with Jamal Murray over there. The well, Cana- look, Jokic, He's the best Murray. Canadian player in the NBA. 
He, oh, he's definitely he without question he's the best Canadian player in the NBA. He's he's a bad boy, and, yeah. and, and the, the man can ball out. And if you remember, he played in Kentucky, which was loaded with NBA talents. Yeah, and people thought Jamal Murray would just be a spot up shooter. He has evolved from that. And yeah. with the Olympics coming up next summer, Nick, hopefully in Tokyo, fingers crossed. Uh, if Canada qualifies, I'm not saying they're winning, winning gold, but they definitely become a metal team if Jamal Murray and others uh, play for Canada next summer in Tokyo. 100%. 100%. Now, who you got for the East? Boy, this is, this is tougher because the Celtics are the wild card in this whole thing. Because Boston, people are like Toronto, and I agree Toronto is crazy good with their team depth. But my question is that Toronto does not match up well with Boston. Mm-hmm. And we could end up seeing that matchup in the second round. And I think the winner of that series will go to the NBA Finals. I think Milwaukee, they've had some question marks themselves, and it kind of got exposed to them in their first game. I think they'll be okay. They, I believe, will go to the West, Eastern Conference Final in a few weeks from now. But that Boston-Toronto series, whoever were to win that series will go over Milwaukee and get into the NBA Finals. So I think Milwaukee would play the winner of Boston or Toronto. But Toronto right now, though, Nick, they are missing that guy. And that guy's playing for the Clippers right now. Yeah. If he was on that team right now, Nick, for the Raptors, Kawhi Leonard, I would have the Raptors in the NBA Final going into these next couple months. So I could see Miami in the Finals. I could see Miami versus uh, either Toronto or Boston in the second round. I think, the, the, for me, it's Gordon Haywood. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if t- Toronto, or I don't know if the Boston Celtics can beat Toronto without Gordon Haywood, because he gives well, them so much. Right, and he's he's banged up right now, right? And yeah. the thing is, you, you got you got Tatum, you got Brown, the Mark wings are smart. Smart is tough. Kemba Walker, ooh. Well, Kemba's a volume player, right? I mean, he's a guy that will will have his days of dropping forty on you, and and have his days where he will go like five for twenty for like ten points, right? But a lot of avarice. But this 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 is bigger for Brad Stevens, the head coach of the Celtics, yeah, because he's been there for a long time, and they've not been to the NBA Finals in a very long time. The Boston Celtics. And Brad Stevens, this is probably his best chance because the path to the NBA Finals is in one city, in Orlando. There's no home court advantage. Yeah. So you have nothing to worry about. It's just playing five on five, coaching your guys up, and making sure they execute your game plan to perfection or close enough that you win these basketball games. And that's why if I think Boston and Toronto will definitely advance through in their first rounds. I can't wait for that matchup because that will go seven and you flip a coin, but I think Boston right now is a better matchup for them against Toronto than it is for the Raptors. If we get a Denver-Miami championship, is that a loss for NBA fans? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, man, because (laughs) they're they're saying – I was reading an article before coming on with you where they're saying how if LeBron gets bounced by the Blazers in the first round, the numbers would go beyond ground zero of viewership because of what LeBron brings, the Laker um, cachet, right? Laker basketball is is like the Cowboys, like the Yankees. You, it's must-see TV, win or lose. So I think the NBA is definitely rooting for LeBron to go as far as they can. I think they would do cartwheels if they would have the NBA Final Four of, of Lakers Clippers on one side of the bracket, and you would have Boston and Raptors. I think you get more viewership with the Raptors, though. I think but, Raptors but, have the best viewership in the East. Right, but that's in Canada, though, right? But for, they got for, a whole country. 
but but the thing is for the NBA, to Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, like Milwaukee's like <laughs> Milwaukee's like if you want to use a Canadian term, they're like uh, they're like uh, they're like St. Cass's Ontario, you know. But but the thing is, right from from the NBA perspective, from the American viewership, Toronto does not sell compared to say the Greek freak and the Bucks do for the Milwaukee area in yeah. the U.S. That's true. So we'll see. It's gonna be fun. It's been fun. Man, I, I was I, – you see my tweet yesterday about um, Steph Curry, the Warriors for next year, three first-round draft picks, healthy Clay, healthy Steph. You'd have um, – Wiggins. The Wiggins. You got now the Suns who go 8-0 in the bubble, look like they've gelled. Uh, that's going to come back better next year. A full season for Zion after – you know, his ups and downs where they can probably get his weight under control. He knows how to be a pro now. The Spurs look really good in the in the bubble. Like, it's going to be really hard in the West. Can we start having crossovers in the NBA? You know, Dwight Walton, uh, one of my colleagues at TSN Radio, uh, played for the Canadian national basketball team. No Steve Nash, a lot of NBA guys. He said this was probably the best year to do uh, an ultimate overall one through 16 seeding of the NBA playoffs to test it out. Because again, you're, you're, you're in Orlando. There's no travel, right? You're in one you don't city. You do worry two, about the distance between games. Nothing. Exactly. This would have been the great experiment to see would we, would we have the two best teams end up in the NBA finals for the, for the Larry OB. And we don't see that now. We won't happen. It won't, it won't happen now, but it would have been fun, Nick. I think the Knicks uh, – sorry, big pardon, the Clippers, not the Knicks. The Clippers and Lakers would have been one and two. Raptors probably uh, with the Bucks three and four. Celtics five and six. Who knows? But we would have seen some pretty cool matchups that we would probably never see. Maybe a Denver versus Boston second-round NBA playoffs. That would have been cool. Yeah. The Mavericks would have got somebody at the top of the list. I mean, they were going to – Mavericks probably would have finished like nine or ten, so they'd have been right there with that matchup. That would have been, I'd have been really cool to see. Yeah, man, that would be awesome. I'd love to, I'd love to just write that out and just see what the matchups would have been. The best on best, right? Yeah. That's what you want. But and like Brooklyn probably would have been the sixteenth seed playing the Lakers, who for all we know, you know. But but that's that's the crazy part though, right? Brooklyn, no no Durant, no Kyrie. And they're doing it with a bunch of no-names, pretty much. Like, Levert's their best player, and that's it. But well, Brooklyn's going to be good, guys. man. Dinwiddie, Levert. Yeah. You got Joe Harris who could shoot it out of the gym. For sure. You get Durant next year with Kyrie and, and DeAndre Jordan. Kyrie. And you got Jared Allen. Come on, man. Like, you don't even need Kyrie. I think with Durant and DeAndre Jordan, now, because of Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, and um, Levert, I believe you have enough talent on that team without Kyrie to contend in the East. Now, Kyrie gives you the ability to be a championship team. Yeah. You're saying even if Kyrie gets hurt half the season, we're still finishing in the top three in the East. At minimum. I think next year Brooklyn is a definitely top four team. But let's not forget – you're going into a season of the unknown if we do have an NBA season. Yeah. But put them back remember, in the, the bubble. Greeks, maybe. Maybe. Bubble basketball's maybe better. Bubble basketball's Probably, been right? great. <laughs> right. But here's the thing, though, Nick, right? Next year is, is huge because you got the Greek freak who will be a free agent next summer. 
And the talk here is that the saying, hey, he, can he do it? Can he do it, right? Because look, Lowry, Ibaka, Gasol all come off the books next summer. And that would just like, you know, in pro sports, that probably would be the last kick of the can with that core group. And you free up that cap money and you bring in the Greek freak. And by the way, Toronto has a huge Greek community that comes out in huge numbers for when he comes to Toronto to play the Raptors. That's a selling point. Toronto is the fourth biggest city when it comes to financial gain after LA. Freak, as you said before, Milwaukee or Toronto when it comes to European, globally speaking. Can I get the Kawhi deal? That's what the Greeks want to know. Can I get the Kawhi deal? Can I get all the free restaurants <laughs> and rides? But I'm you know sure what? It's interesting. I, I said that Fred Van Vliet should have been the starter two years ago. And they should have moved on from Kyle Lowry when they moved on from DeMar DeRozan. Um, yeah. Now people are actually starting to see it on a regular basis. But I think I've seen it early. And, you know, Kyle's loved because Kyle does a lot in Toronto. And, you know, you got to love what Kyle does. You got to love yeah. who he is because he's a great player. He's a great – has a great attitude, great teammate. But um, I just think Fred Van Vliet's better. Well, he's younger. Uh, he's going to command a big salary. And, and Van Vliet will get that money from somewhere. And I think for Masai Ujiri and for Bobby Webster, the GM of the Raptors, they got to start plotting the next four to five years. Okay, mm-hmm. you got Pascal Siakam. He's, he's locked in. You lock in Van Vliet. Who's that third guy you're going to bring in? And is that third guy going to be able to accept a deal that will be offered that may not be a max deal for what you want to get? And so I think realistically, Nick, when you look at this Raptor team, this is the apex of the wave right now of where they're at because after this season, again, Lowry, Gasol, Ibaka are on the other side of 30, probably in the back nine of their career. Are they going to be able to play high level of basketball and go deep in the playoffs like they did last year and maybe this year as well. In theory, if you go three years deep, that's a lot of wear and tear on someone's Warriors, you've seen it. The Warriors. And remember, the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, the first run, Nick, when we were kids. Not saying they were older or anything, but when we were kids, (laughs) right? Jordan retired after 93 because we saw in the documentary that was was unveiled back in April and May, he got tired. You yeah. got fatigued. The wear and tear of an NBA season is such is such a, a taxing on your body mentally and physically that, yeah, you need to capitalize now. And that's what the Raps are doing right now with this core group going forward. One last question about the NBA. My Mavericks got KP and Luka. Is Tim, <laughs> Hardaway, is Tim Hardaway enough? Or who would you see being a third piece? Because Mark Cuban had struggled getting a, a – running mate with Jay Kidd and, and Dirt or Steve Nash and Dirt. Yeah. Right? It was Michael Finley. Right? We we needed to upgrade over that. I think it's going to be easier now to bring in somebody that says, hey, I want to go play with Luca." when you see him. Is Tim Hardaway enough? Or do who do you see being a third piece with those two that can make Mavericks a championship team? I don't think Tim Hardaway Jr. is enough to, to make it a, a big three. I think the, the Mavericks have been very meticulous in how they've done business now, Nick. Uh, they've kept with Rick Carlisle for many years when people thought maybe you should have fired him uh, like four or five years ago when they weren't doing as well. I think for the Mavericks, and here's a catch, right, that makes them more appealing than, than say, Toronto. And you know, because you, you've lived there your entire life, no state tax. Yeah. 
and that's big. Joe right? Rogan's moving of, to Texas. <laughs> right, exactly, right? And like a lot of guys are going to Texas, Florida, right, uh, because there's no state tax. And for the Mavericks, they do it first class, right, from the locker rooms, for the home, and the away uh, locker rooms are considered to be the best in the NBA. They will roll out the red carpet for somebody. And Mark Cuban, if he knows, and Mark Cuban's a very smart man from, from what we see from him on TV and even off camera before he does, if he knows that this team with Luka and, 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 and Porzingis are one player away from an NBA run, he'll pull the trigger to do it. And if you remember, Nick, back in, was it 2003, 2004, when they brought Anton Jameson and others to surround Dirk Nowitzki and stuff like that, and it kind of flamed out for them? He's pulled the trigger on, on big trades. But he wouldn't he wouldn't give up Roddy Bobois to yeah. get Carmelo Anthony before yeah. Carmelo went to New York. I yeah. think that's his biggest regret. Well, who knows what could have happened with, with Dirk and Carmelo. But, 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 you know, here's the thing. If he sees it, he's going he's gonna to do it. Because, look, the Warriors are going to be a little bit older now, right, Nick? Because uh, Steph is going to be 31, 32 years old. Clay coming off the knee injury. Draymond is going to look for a bigger deal. And he's taking a, a, a pretty big pounding playing inside the paint. So the Warriors, we don't know. Uh, the Lakers are going to be a team still in, in, in the prime of what they're trying to do with, with uh, LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. Clippers will be very good. But here's a younger Maverick team that could move up the ranks with the Dallas, with the Denver Nuggets and perhaps the Utah Jazz as being the next three teams to watch out for for the next few years. Yeah. This flows, man. I could do this all day. <laughs> See, this is a TV show there, Mo. Yeah, there you this go. This is a TV there show, there Mo. Go. There you this go. This flows. <laughs> See the chemistry. Hey, fans. Hey, thumbs up if you like this. They'll probably give us the middle fingers right now. <laughs> Leave y'all. We cover so much, man. I, I, I haven't even got into your life yet. Let's talk about growing up in Montreal. Yeah. How was it? How was growing up in Montreal? What was it like? Did you play sports? What was your attraction to sports? You, you know, it, it's, it's unique because my dad, when he came here from, uh, from India, like he was a cricket guy, right? But, you know, you know, our parents always talk up themselves. Yeah, I used to be this, this, and this. You know, I was a great, you know, whatever it was. So he would always tell me, yeah, you know, I was, I was probably one level away from playing from the Indian national cricket team, which is big. It's like the equivalent of the Dallas Cowboys, right? Yeah. I look at my dad and go, Dad, you're like five foot three, five foot four. <laughs> tell me you're, you're one level away from playing. He goes, yeah, you know, and this and that. Now I hear stories about, yeah, my dad's a great cricket player, right? But, but th that was a sport that was my dad's sport. For me, the sports that I grew up on was obviously hockey, but football was one of them. Uh, the NBA was another, um, soccer included as well. And, you know, when we were kids, you always play every sport out there, right? And you figure it out, I excel in this sport, I don't play well in that sport, and you stick with what you know best. So I was a guy that kind of dabbled in everything and, as a kid. And probably football was the sport that I had the most passion for to play and enjoyed it because of the team bond and the ability that you have to train yourself physically and mentally for that four or five month window yeah. of trying to win yourself that pantheon of a cup, uh, whatever level you're playing at at that point. Yeah, I see you wearing that Chelsea blue over there. I appreciate no, it. No, but hold on, I forgot to show you something. There. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. How long have you been a Liverpool fan? I've been a fan since 1995, man. So 25 years. 
25 years. Who was your favorite player? Like, what what motivated you? Like, I was a Drogba fan. So, Drogba yeah. was on Chelsea. And right. I remember playing – I used to play video games. This is how I became a hockey fan. It's the same way I became a <laughs> soccer fan. So, playing Nintendo or Super Nintendo or Sega or whatever, playing a yeah. video game, I would play, yeah. and I would always be Chelsea. And I would always be Drogba. And I would always, <laughs> like – this, and this dude became my favorite player on the video game. So then I started watching in real life, and he became my favorite player. Soccer was my first sport I ever played when right. I was a kid. So I've always loved the game of soccer. But what was it for you? Okay, so the story is, and, and no one believes the story. So my, my, my cousin, who owns like a 7-Eleven in England, yeah, uh, family in England and stuff, so he still owns it now. So stereotypical. Yeah, I know, you know, like, like a poo, quick market, you know, and they take them off Simpsons. I'm like, I didn't care. I wasn't offended by the whole uh, poo thing. So, so anyway, one day I'm in the store, it's chilling out, and they had like a magazine section of, of, of sports. So I was like, hey, you know what? I'm a soccer fan. Let me find a club that I'll like. So I picked out the Liverpool magazine, the official Liverpool uh, team magazine. I was reading through the previews and stuff. I'm like, oh, bleep, this is an 18-time English champion. They've won all these trophies. Cool guy here and there. Uh, Ian Rush, Robbie Fowler. He had just signed Stan Collymore, who was playing for Nottingham Forest uh, for that run in 95. And I said, you know what? That's my team, Liverpool. Let's roll. Really? All because of a magazine and my cousin's store in England. And mine was because of video game. <laughs> oh, there you go. Exactly. There's different ways, right, of liking a club or team or, na- or country for that matter. But that's so, how yeah. I knew who the best hockey players were because I'd always see yeah. them on the game and play against them and do things. So I, that's how I got my hockey knowledge. Yeah. It was all for video games. So then when I get older and I watch the 99 Stanley Cup and watch the Stars or that run to the cup for them. and Oh, that bullcrap uh, goal by Brett Hall. <laughs> <laughs> And then when I get to Calgary in 04, I already know some of the Flames yeah. and Jerome and all those, Mika and, and those guys. So it's kind of like that's how I got my knowledge of it. Yeah. And, you know, so that's cool. A magazine has led you to Liverpool. Now, 25 years later, you're still repping Liverpool. Of course. Of course, man. You got you, – like soccer is one of those sports, Nick. Like football, you know, people flip-flop on teams, right? Yeah, you don't but change. Soccer, you don't ever flip-flop on your club. You it, don't. Because if you do that, you're, you're castrated for life. It hurt me that William. Right? <laughs> With the Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I just I was just like, you know what? William's leaving. I understand. He's been my favorite player ever since Drogba's been gone. And yeah. I just love his speed, his agility, and everything that he can do out there. He makes it look easy, you know? Yeah. He'll have these time against Chelsea now with Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think there was no way he was staying or going to one of the top teams in, in the Premier League, man. Well, he wants to stay in London. I was, that was for sure. And, and yeah. Arsenal gave him the best chance. They're yeah. paying him a lot of money, though. Paying him a lot of money to come to Arsenal. Yeah. Who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite soccer player ever? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um, and, you know, hopefully you get him on your show. But this guy, he's a big-time social media influencer. Uh, still playing. Ryan Babel. Uh, he plays for Galatasaray. Played for Liverpool for a couple of years. Was one of okay. my favorite guys. In fact, there's an article on him, I think, on the New York Times. Of he, it wasn't Ronaldo who was the leading force of social media. It was Ryan Babel who was the first guy to embrace social media. And it's a really a unique article. But Ryan Babel is one of my favorite Liverpool players. Xabi Alonso. Um, he was part of the 05 Champions League team that, that was down to Milan 03. 
end up winning in penalty kicks. Uh, he was probably one of my favorite Liverpool players of all time. And once he left Liverpool in 09, summer of 09, that's when Liverpool went to the darkness of, of hell, of not being relevant at all. And that's when Chelsea and, and others like Man City yeah. overtook them and ran, ran away with the English title for many years in between those times. Man, it's, it's so great, man, because soccer truly is one of those sports. Like you see those, those teams that's fighting for relegation that still have full stands and fan support. And those, those people, they're, they're with them for, you know, forever. It's, it's a lifeline, though. Yeah. You're born, you're tattooed with that club, regardless of if it's Liverpool or, or, or Southampton or Sunderland or a yeah. small-town club, Luton Town, whatever it is. You are branded yeah. with that club for life. Yeah. So when you were growing up playing sports, what was your favorite? You said football was your favorite to play? Football was my favorite. Basketball I played because I was tall. And not like, you know, in, in, other, in the U.S. where you have 6'9 guys who are tall. I was tall for my age. I was 6'4", I guess. But, but football was a sport that I really enjoyed playing. Um, again, like I said to you before, it's just the, the, the buildup of, of your body mentally and physically. And you go into that game where it's, as people think it's physical, it's more mental, as you know. 100%. That you need to know your route combination. You need to know, hey, if, the, if this guy's shading on you on the inside shade or inside shade, this is your move, right? You got to know your blocking assignments. It, it's all a chess match at that point. And that's how you develop. And it made me into a man pretty much, Nick, right? Yeah. You understand, you know, that some things that you have to toughen up, right? You get knocked over. You get yourself back up and you go at it again. And if 100%. you get knocked over again, get back up again. You try again until you beat that person in front of you. So, so that's why. Getting into broadcasting or, or going to school to be a broadcaster and play-by-play -play and reporter and, and working for TSN, what did that start? Like, what was it in you to say, you know what, I want to be connected to sports and I want to go this route. Was there a reporter? Was there a play-by-play -play guy that you said, you know what, I want to be like that? Uh, it, was, it was more like, how can I describe it? It was more because, see, okay, in our culture, in the South Asian culture, it's all about being three things, lawyer, doctor, engineer. 100%. Guess what? <laughs> I'm not either of those three, right? <laughs> not even close. <laughs> I'm a rare anomaly. People are like, you know, it's funny. When I go to these brown parties, you know, with my mom and my dad when he was still alive, people are like, so what are you doing? I'm like, a uh, broadcaster. A broadcast? What? what? <laughs> you know, it's one of those. I'm like, yeah, yeah, broadcast, you know? Oh, really? And they're like, what the hell? Like, this boy's broadcaster? Like, what's he doing? And what's he making from a cash perspective, Right. Uh, for me, my, my influences back in, when I was a kid was uh, Dick Emberg, the late Dick Emberg from NBC, when he used to do NFL on, on, on NBC, even yep. on the NBA as well. Uh, he was one of my favorites out there. Uh, but currently, right now, like, I got into it because I knew a lot of sports. I said, you know what, let me try to max out my potential. So I did, I did a trade school to become a broadcaster. And then, and Nick, as you know, right, in this line of work, it's a grind, man. It is it a is. grind. Like, it, it takes years to perfect your craft. Uh, it's taking me years to perfect my craft. Still trying to do that as we speak. But I had a lot of people who had my back, where the first person that gave me a, a real break, um, when I got to radio, I was lucky enough uh, through Matt Ross and a few of the guys from TSN Montreal. But from a national perspective, uh, Dwayne Ford of TSN. Awesome. I like that. And, and ironically, it goes back to the 08 Grey Cup. When, when you guys had your luncheon in, in the hotel, uh, Dwayne was there, and he was working for the score at the time. Uh, doing CFL draft work and CFL analysis. And I came up to Dwayne. I said, you know, I'm going to say hello to him, whatever. But, hey, Dwayne, I'm Mocon, big fan of you, blah, blah, blah. 
and we shook hands and we kept in contact. And then one day he was calling a, a university game in Montreal when they were playing Laval. So I reached out to Dwayne and go, hey, Dwayne, I don't know if you remember me, Mo Khan. He goes, of course I do. And then I go, if you ever need anything, please let me know. And he went to bat for me to get onto the uh, uh, university sports coverage of working in the Vanny Cups and, and the, the bowl games, whatever it was. Awesome. So Dwayne was my first guy that went to bat for me because he, he didn't know who I was. He, I guess he saw something and said, hey, you know what? This kid uh, is determined. Let's get him on board. And since then, you know, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of things for TSN TV behind the scenes for the CFL draft, uh, doing uh, stats uh, for the broadcast teams whenever they play in Montreal and stuff. So Dwayne was the first guy. And then Charles Davis uh, of the NFL and yep. CBS now, formerly of Fox, now the NFL Network, he was the guy down south that really was like a mentor to me as well in terms of uh, helping me with my career and, and giving me feedback and whatnot. And uh, so those two guys were the first two to really believe in my talents as a person in this broadcasting industry. That's awesome. Now, do you feel the obligation to bring more from your culture over into it? Have you seen a change in, in, from what you see? Has there been a shift? In terms of, well, in terms of the South Asian representation, I think we see a shift now, right? You look yeah. at ESPN, for example, right? Nabil Karim. Yep. Our own Nabil Karim from TSN is now ESPN Sports Center, right? It's huge. Kevin Nagandi, another uh, uh, South Asian uh, figure. Adnan Virk, uh, now with the, the Zone, right? He's a big, he's a really cool guy who's also been a big help in my career. Uh, we see more and more South Asian presence, uh, male and female, uh, whether it's sports or other avenues of, of, of TV that they do now. So I think it's become more accepted in the culture that, hey, you know what, this definitely has um, a lifeline for you to make a comfortable salary. And, and not only that, though, be well-liked or disliked, depending on how your viewpoint is on, on sports <laughs> politics, uh, by people out there. And, and it's become... It was a hard thing because there is that stereotype about South Asians, as I said before, about being doctors, engineers, or, or, or lawyers, that it had to be broken. And the guys before us broke that label and have enabled myself uh, to continue forth what I want to do. And now at my age where I'm at, you know, I'm sort of mentoring the next generation of kids to understand, look, you need to sacrifice maybe your Saturday nights of going out to a club and commit yourself to your craft to become the best you want to be. Yeah. What do you, what do you want to accomplish in, in the, the media sports space? What was the line that Kobe used? Kill the game? Kill the game. Kill the game, right? <laughs> and hold Man, on, as I, as, I, as, I, <laughs> as I now move over, because my battery's about to die, I mean, as I get my, my, my charger here, so I'm moving and we're talking and walking here. But I'll say this, though, Nick. For me, if Kobe said, look, I want to kill the game. And if you remember Kobe and how he is, the Mamba mentality, he always said, look, if you guys spend time in the gym uh, at four, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning doing what you got to do, then you do it. Because if you don't, someone else is doing it uh, against you. Yeah. So I've always used that as my driving force to say, hey, I'll give up my Saturday nights and I'll do what I have to do to keep myself going in this game because it is such a competitive uh, line of work that you can't be resting on your laurels to say, I'm going to be okay with what I've done because you've not achieved anything. When, when people tell me, Hey man, great broadcast. I kind of shrug it off and say, no, it was my partner that did a better job. I just did what I had to do. Right. So I don't take credit for it. I'd rather give everyone else credit because those are the guys that put in the effort as well. 
And I always tell people, I go, guys, I'm not in it to, for, the, for the glory. I'm in it because I want to paint a picture for the viewer or listener to say, my God, that game was fun to watch. Not because of me, but because of the players. Yeah, that's awesome. As I get my plug-in over here. <laughs> How's Simon and the crew doing? Salikas is good, man. Simon is well, brother. He, he is stressed out because his Lakers aren't doing well. And <laughs> you know, Simon's doing good, man. He's doing well for himself. Uh, like he, he, gets, he, gets more, he gets more miss-offs thrown at him because Simon's more cutthroat, right? Like yeah. he'll tell you how it is. He ain't going to hide behind anything. He'll tell you how it is. He'll tell you to bleep off, and he'll say what he wants to say. And it generates a big interest from people, right, about what he wants to be. But Sam's doing well, man. His family's doing well. Um, again, the Lakers are his stress right now, and the Chicago Bears are his biggest stress. <laughs> if those two combine as one, trust me, you don't want to be around Simon because he's in a bad mood when the Bears and Lakers are not playing well. Well, RIP to Pops, man. And when you look so back – if you, when you look back on your life to this point, when you were young starting out, and just to look back and of all you've accomplished so far and where you're going in the future, what do you think? Uh, I, it's crazy, man, because you know how it is, Nick, right? We, we get to the point of our lives where people are married with kids and you know, live in a house and two cars doing the nine to five. I've not done that, right? I've, I've done it differently than others. I mean, I, I, I'm still, uh, luckily, I mean, not luckily, but I mean, I don't have kids, so the stress isn't there about, hey, I gotta go wake up, make sure that my kid's sleeping properly at like two o'clock in the morning here, whatever it is. But I've done it in an unorthodox way that I didn't go, go by life's guidebook of, by this age, you need to be married. By this age, you need to own a house. By this age, you need to be this, right? I'm still trying to evolve and, and be better than where I'm at in my life. And that means if I have to sacrifice, you know, what needs to be done, then I'll do it. But yeah. for me right now, Nick, when it comes down to it, I'm not where I want to be. I'm still grinding along. You know, if it means I have to go watch a football practice in the rain for my game notes, I'll do it. I can't take anything for granted. You know, I I'm hustling out there. I I'm listening to other broadcasters. And it's funny. I listen more to the broadcast than I do watching the game. Because for me, it just slows down with what they're doing. What words are they using? How are they using this moment to describe that pinnacle play? Because at that point, when you do play-by-play, -play, again, you are not the focus. It is the game itself that will uh, paint the picture for everyone to enjoy that moment. Yeah. And that's where you pick up the little things here and there, and you avoid having that you know, social media blast of, oh, my God, Mokon ruined or botched that moment of brilliance by LeBron James for the game-winning basket against the Blazers in game two. Yeah, 100%. And that won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Hope not. It's got to come not. from it's got to come from Danny Green or AD. But to all the young up and coming people that want to get into the media space, sports media space, what's the best advice you can give them? The best advice I can give them is that there will always be politics in this line of work. It's not what you know, it's who you know sometimes. And I, I learned that, and, and I've been lucky because I work at a station where I've been there for many years, but in the last few years, uh, guys have believed in me and my talents. Uh, you know, Joey Alfieri, who you know, right, when he was here, when Love you Joe. were here. Yeah, Joe, uh, a little Yo, Joe, confused. Joe, I'm coming Charlie. for him, too. He's a little confused, Joey. A little confused I'm coming sometimes. for him, too. He's confused, <laughs> that kid. But, you know, but, like, 
when you have guys that believe in your talents, then it, it makes it easier to say, hey, you know what, I can do this, right? And, and guys like Joey and Simon, um, you know, my bosses at 690 have been big. Dwayne Ford, Charles Davis, those guys have all been big. David Amber of Hockey Night in Canada, uh, he's been big for me as well. Uh, those guys have all believed in what I did. And they said, look, man, like it, it may be tough today, but you'll figure it out tomorrow. And my advice to the next generation of kids is that don't, don't be disappointed by the early onset of this process of being a broadcaster because you're not going to make six figures. You're not going to make seven figures. You might have to take two, three jobs. You might have to wipe down benches, um, you know, in between doing things here. And I remember quickly, Nick, that I was doing the CFL draft one year. So they yeah. flew me in, flew me out, first class hotel the whole nine. They asked me, hey, what time do you need to get back to Montreal? I go, first flight out. I'm like, why? I go, I need to go because I got to go scorekeep a flag football league in Montreal. You know, like I, you, you can't, you can't say you've made it when they start flying you everywhere for your, for your work. And I said, guys, I need to get back. Cause I, I got to score, keep, you know, you know, make whatever $14 an hour that, that it was at that time. So you got to enjoy it, but also humble yourself to make sure that you don't take it for granted because it can be taken away from you like that. Yes, and sir. you may not have those luxuries that you once did where, Hey, you're, you got per diem. You get flights paid by whatever your network and your hotel paid by whoever it is. So I never take that stuff for granted, man. And I always make sure that I enjoy it. But I also realize that if I have something that I'm committed to, I got to be back in the city to do that job for whoever it is down the road. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you for coming through. Always the Little Logic Podcast, man. I, I could do this forever. Like, this is fun. <laughs> like, we talk sports. We talk life. It's so much fun. Because for me, you're just a guy that's such an inspiration to be around. Like, you do it the right way, and you take so much pride in your craft, right? Right, right. Well, I've been lucky, man. Yeah, you came, out, you came out many, many, uh, many times in the, in the wee hours of Montreal, right? And people always love our chats, right? And it was supposed to be 10 minutes, ends up being like 25 minutes of sports talk, right? <laughs> One of my guys at Cowboys, part owner of Zen 8, man, he's, yeah. he always talks about me doing the, uh, the midnight show. Yeah, yeah. Right there in Zen 8 in their, um, their private room in the back. And he yeah. put it on the speakers outside so everybody in Zen 8 could hear it. Yeah, Japanese yeah. restaurant style. And <laughs> you're hearing Nick Lewis and Mo Khan on the Midnight Show. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Bacon Crown. <laughs> well, that was, that was, I remember one time you were on, Nick, and it was the 2011 World Series Texas and St. Louis. And if you remember, the cards, the cards were at bat with two outs. And you and I thought, hey, this is your moment. The Rangers are about to win the World Series. And St. Louis tied and won the game, catch forced the ball. game seven. Just catch yeah. the ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we've had some glorious moments. And then I remember I got a message from the Stampeders PR team because uh, there was something you had done, controversially speaking here, on, on social media. Yeah. And the Stamps PR guy at the time, I think it was LaFrance's name. Um, LaFarve. Yeah, yeah. So he was. Uh, he's like, listen, do you mind not talking about that? I said, look, man, I gotta talk about it because it's 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 in the media, but it's up to Nick with what he wants to do. And I told you, hey, it's up to you. I'll give you the platform, and you I'm did. You, open, you, man. Said. you got to. Yeah, you got to talk exactly. about things. You can't run exactly. from things. You got to face it head on. <laughs> got to face it head on. That's what life is. Of course. Hey, of course. We're gonna have a great show together. We're gonna have a great show together. <laughs> for sure, man. For sure. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more in due time. For sure. We call it Black and Browns, baby. Black and Browns. <laughs> or, or, or Southern Spice. Southern and Spice. There you there go. You know, I exactly. like that. I like there that. There you go.
<laughs> this has been another edition of the Lulu Logic Podcast, and we out. <laughs>